Amen. Let's, let's go before our great God and let's pray together. Oh Lord God, you are mighty. We come this morning humbled and rightly put in our place. We are indeed those who are weak and we need your strength. We need you. You have made us and you have made us for you and for your glory. And so we come this morning praising you and exalting you and needing you more than anything else, more than food, more than clothing, more than a house, more than cars, more than a job, more than anything. And so we come with one voice praying to you and we say we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent into the world to save us. And we see and we recognize that every single thing, everywhere throughout this world and throughout every speck and throughout every single piece and part and anything that does exist, everything was made for you and for your glory and to exalt you. And so we come and we praise you and we ask your help this morning that you would help us to come and praise you that we would give you our whole hearts, our whole lives this morning, even every day, that we would rise up and remember your word and the call that we would not just simply say, well, I'll kind of give you some of my life, but that our whole life, our whole self, our whole body would be our spiritual worship, that we would be in the offering plates. And so we pray for that this morning. We also pray in view of, even as we recognize that you are God and that you are sovereign and that you are in control of everything, we also recognize that these days and this time that we have, there are many, perhaps even here and certainly all around us who are afraid there are fears that abound. There are doubts that abound. There are many who are hurting and who have been hurt. And we pray that this morning that you would help every single one here and beyond, that they would, they would see that they can trust you. They can rest in you right now. They can come to you with all their sins and their failures. They can confess these sins right now before you and they can look to the one who came to save sinners. And so we pray that you would be with us now as there are many who are sick. We pray that this word this morning would be a comfort and encouragement to their souls as their hearts are perhaps overwhelmed by many things of loss. As we know, those in our congregation who have lost loved ones even very recently, 
We even have the very real possibility that a loved one could pass away soon. We just pray that you give grace to every person, that they would see and behold how great you are, God. And they can wholly trust you right now. And so we pray that you give us grace, that you would inspire and strengthen the mature and strong, and you would inspire and strengthen the weak and the needy this morning. May you work through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn and open your Bibles to Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 11 this morning in Romans 11 verses 33 through 36. This morning we take a, a brief step away from the letter to the Galatians. We've been walking through that, as you know, over the last few months. And we come to, with no exaggeration, to this lofty passage this morning. So in this now third week of January, the third week of 2022, there are certainly many things that we could fix our eyes on, many things that we could think about. We could think about all the things that perhaps even mentioned in my prayer, you know, things of, that people are afraid of today, maybe fear of loss or even some loss that you're experiencing right now. There are things that we could fix our eyes on. There are many good things we could fix our eyes on. And there's certainly no lack of things going on today that we and create a great great deal of angst that we could fix our eyes on today. Well, this passage exhorts us in many ways But primary among them is this. Lift up your eyes, dear saint. Lift up your eyes away from all the things. Not putting them inside, not saying don't think, not saying any of that. But lift up your eyes to God who is sovereign and who is God right now. He is not surprised by anything. And he is still God. And he is still in control. And so as Pastor Andy exhorted us, if you remember a number of weeks ago, he exhorted us to set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And so may we do that now. And so maybe you have some angst here this morning. Well, I pray, and it's been my prayer for us, All of us here in the midst of a nation that is conflicted and there's angst everywhere. There's conflict, not just out there, but in churches. Maybe you feel angst here this morning here at Haven. So it's been my prayer that God would help us and he would help you. And so may God help us and help us to lift our eyes to him and to fix our eyes on him who does not shift like the winds of our day, but he is, and hear me here, he is our sure rock church. So woe to us if we would stand on any other sinking sand. 
So look to the rock this morning. May God's word help us lift him and see him who is lifted high this morning. And so may God bless the reading of his word. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Even in just reading these brief verses, hopefully you already see how deeply and how greatly we are being called to exalt and to wonder at God. And so we come to these verses in Romans, well-known verses. We've heard them many times. You've heard them many times here. Maybe you've studied them. But let me just say that these verses, they are not mild. What I mean is, they do not allow for you and me to have a view of God that is small. It is not allowable. It is not okay to have a view of God that is small or that it, seeing Him even perhaps as you know some teddy bear. Well, this verse and many others do not give us that option. And if that is your view of God this morning, it is not that you need to adjust God to fit your view. It is that this passage is calling and commanding you to change your view of God to fit who He is. And so we are being called to do just that. It heralds God as transcendently awesome, as sovereign, as worthy, as all-knowing, as infinitely wise, as infinitely glorious, and He is forever worthy of all glory. Praise the Lord. That's who God is. And as we come to these verses, it ought to make us feel and perhaps even have a demeanor this morning. If you have not already gotten that demeanor from Isaiah 40, or Behold Our God, or even others, we continue and we continue to look at these verses. If you haven't had this demeanor, but we need to have something of a demeanor of Moses. What do I mean? Well, like Moses as he approaches the burning bush, and how did he approach that bush? Did he just come in, you know, like, what would he do? You know, did he do that? No, my goodness, no, right? He came with his sandals off, and he came bowing before the infinitely great and the infinitely awesome God. Because God is awesome. And our God is awesome. And yet as we say that, that's not the only way that we should feel as we read these verses. We don't just come 
in view of his greatness, but we do come in view of his greatness. And this passage certainly exhorts us to that, but it doesn't just exhort us to that. It also wonders that this awesome God, he is not just like transcendently great, and he's so great that like he has nothing to do with us whatsoever. That's not where it leaves us. But it exalts that this awesome God, He is graciously near to us. That He is merciful. That He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That this God, He did not say, I will leave them to themselves. He said, I will do something. And I will save them. This God saves sinners. And so we see both here. We see God's amazing, overwhelming greatness. And we see His gracious nearness to us. And so the whole of Romans then, from chapters, from chapters 1 through 11, they have been building up to this doxology here in Romans 11, 33-36. And so thus far, for us to, to get how Paul gets us here, how he comes to this point where he just explodes in exaltation and praise, we need to see what he has been doing up to this point. And so thus far, Paul, he has given both bad news and he has given good news. And so the bad news. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 And so he comes making it absolutely plain that sin, it is not a joke. It is not a trifle. It is not fickle. It is not something that is a laughing stock or something to laugh at. Sin is serious. It's not trivial. It separates us, Jew and Gentile, and every single person throughout all of history, everyone, it separates us from the living God. And that is serious. And that's the bad news. And yet, he has also good news as well. And he has given that good news as well, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says in Romans 10, 9, you know it well if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so, though we were sinful and we we are sinners and our sins separated us from God and we are righteous before the living and the holy and the great God, the unrighteous are now righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see justification by faith. 
that God, if you have looked to Christ, that He looks at you and He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we see precious good news here. And now, as Paul, he goes on to say in Romans 6, 11, if you know Christ, you are dead to sin, and now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then in Romans 8, 13, now by the Spirit of God, we put to death the deeds of the, the body by the Spirit. And though Israel has not believed, salvation has come to any who look to Christ And though Israel has been partially hardened, so Romans 11, the Gentiles have been grafted in, and when Christ returns, all Israel will be saved on the basis of faith in Christ. And so, in view of all these things, in view of Romans 1 through 11, in view of both the glory and the mystery of salvation history, of God's sovereign plans and purposes, then we come to these verses here. And Paul, as he sees all these things, he glories. And we see the depth and the height of God's greatness. The depth and the height of God's greatness. And so it begins... Simply with all. Oh, the depths of the riches. Paul is just, as he looks at all this, he sees all these things, the mystery of it all, the wonder of it all. He is just overwhelmed by, and he is in awe of God. And that is to be our demeanor this morning. To be overwhelmed by and to be in awe of God. And so I would simply ask then, are you this morning? You know, Paul, he is, he's not looking in a mirror. He's not like looking in a mirror and saying, man, Paul, you're pretty great stuff. No, I mean, that's not at all what he has been doing throughout all of Romans, and it's not what he's doing here. Now, it might be that as I'm talking about all these things, as you're hearing all this, as you're seeing this is what Romans has been saying, you see God and you see his greatness. And then as you're hearing all this, though, something is off. Perhaps something is off even inside your own heart. Your hearts, they leap for joy when you are made much of. But they stay low when you see wonder at God like this. And so we would be right to ask ourselves, what is going on? Why would we respond this way as we hear these wondrous things? If God looks more like us, existing basically to make much of us, that we leave service after service, only move when we are made much of. Coming kind of, you come to Sunday service after Sunday service with this underlying demand, make much of me. And if you don't, 
I'm not going to think I worshipped it all. I'm not going to come and I'm not going to say it was a good sermon. I'm not going to say any of that stuff unless you move me and you make much of me. And I think that's kind of the de facto position of many today and perhaps even of many churches. Just make much of me and then I'll go and I'll feel good about myself when really we're just worshipping ourselves. We're just worshiping ourselves. And so if that is how, maybe that's where you are right now and you're struggling with these things, let me just say that it may be well that you are worshiping yourself. After all that Paul has said, he sees that God, all that God has done, he sees the reality of sin and he sees the reality of our sinfulness. He sees God and His plans and His purposes and everything else. And after all that, He doesn't doesn't do that, does He? He doesn't say, how great I am, does He? He doesn't say, oh, Paul, you're great stuff. What does He do? He lifts His hands. It causes Him not to make much of himself. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't cause us to make much of ourselves. What it does is it causes us to make much of God our Savior. Amen. That's what the gospel does. And that's what it has done throughout all of history. And that's what it does in churches. That's what it does in believers. And that is what it is to do in our homes, in our lives, in everything. We are to be a people that go about exalting in God our Savior. And so he wonders at God. And he first wonders at the heights. As he's wondering at a number of things, he first wonders at the heights and depths of God's wisdom and knowledge. His wisdom and knowledge. Now, God is incomparable His knowledge, even here, we're getting in terrain where we're just, it causes us just to simply like break our minds in some ways. His knowledge is exhaustive and universal. In perfect wisdom, he always purposes and plans what is right and best, even if we cannot see it whatsoever. Everything is happening perfectly according to his plan that will end to his glory. In God's dealings with everyone, Jews, Gentiles, all, He always does what is right. He has never, ever done anything wrong. And He never will. There's a certain point, even in just hearing that, where all of this is just unfathomable. Like, how does it do that? Like, you're saying that even... Like the Holocaust and all like the Crusades and all this other stuff, like this whole thing is heading this direction? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And this is where Paul is. He's saying, no doubt that God is knowable. God has made himself known. 
through revelation. He has spoken. And yet, at the same time, he is incomprehensible. So while we might miss something, in fact, we might miss a lot of things. Maybe you missed something today. Maybe you forgot your keys or whatever else. You know, I I miss a lot of things all week long. God never misses anything. He wins Jeopardy every single time. His knowledge is perfect. And so Paul, he wonders at God's knowledge and wisdom. And then second, he wonders at God's unsearchable judgments and inscrutable ways. And we grasp something of God in his ways so far as he reveals himself to us. And so we can understand and we search and we seek to know God and know his word and know what he has spoken of himself. And we do know who he is as he's revealed himself in scripture. But even then, as we look at all these things, they are incredibly deep and the fullness of God's plans and decisions and judgments are really only fully known to him. This is what Paul is saying here. As well as in Deuteronomy 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. God ultimately knows every reason He does what He does. We don't always, but He always does. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So we are limited you are limited. We can search scripture, but we cannot, we cannot open Google and just kind of search God, you know. And why he does all that he does, we can't do that. His wisdom and knowledge is infinite. And he is working out everything perfectly according to his plans and purposes. And so it is then that in Isaiah 46.10, that God, he declares the end from the beginning from, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Amen. And in Psalm 135.6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all deeps. God is God. He is free to do all he pleases. And so Paul, he wonders at God's unsearchable judgments and inscrutable ways. And then third, Paul, he magnifies the truth that God does not need anything. God does not need anything. So Paul, he asks here in verse 34 and 35, he asks three rhetorical questions and each have obvious answers. And the answers are these. God knows his own mind and no one has known the mind of the Lord. That's one. And then two, God has been his own counselor and he has no need of any other counselor but himself. 
he is his own counselor. And three, no one has given God a gift that he might repay them. He does not need anything. He is all he needs. And so Paul, he quotes here from Isaiah 40, 13. And Megan read a moment ago in Job 35, 7 and Job 41, 11 to show that God has not and is not in need of our counsel. He is not lacking in wisdom or knowledge. He never, ever errs. He never makes a mistake. I mean, how many of you are perfect? (laughs) I mean, how many of you are perfect at your job? Like, you never make a mistake. Just raise your hand, and then we'll tell you, I'm sorry, you have, and we could talk to your employees or the people you work with, and we could find that out pretty quick as well. What about parents? Are you a perfect parent? Anyone a perfect parent here? My goodness, no. One day tells you that. One day. What about perfect students? Any perfect students? No. You may have a 4.0, but do you know the truth? You may have a PhD, but do you know the truth? Well, God's judgments and ways are always perfect. He is self-sufficient. He is complete. He is all he needs. No one has given him a gift that he needs. Everything is his, and he needs nothing. And so it is that it says, and God says in Psalm 50, verse 11 through 15, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. As the people are seeing the false worship around them, they think, well, maybe I need to offer God something and God is saying, no, 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 no. I have no need of your offerings, but you need me in everything. So God, He does not need us. And yet He loves us. And yet He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Incredible. His not needing us doesn't make his love less amazing, it makes his love more amazing. (laughs) It doesn't make the sending of Jesus Christ to come and save us less amazing. It comes and makes it more amazing. Why? And so Paul is just wondering, (laughs) oh God, how great you are that you would save us. And so those who claim to know the mind of the Lord today, who claim that they may be His counselor, they claim that they have an experience, a word from the Lord, 
Well, they need to hear the word of the Lord now. They need to hear the word of the Lord from Romans 11, 33 through 36. And they need to hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We have God's word. There's not some higher plane of experience or revelation that we need to be looking for. Christ has come. God has given us his word. And so we see all things then are from God, through God, and to God. All things are from God, through him, and to him. So let me just say this and say, kind of break down these statements here, or at least break it out and expand upon it from verse 36a and put it in sentences. So all things are from God. All things, just think about that. All things, nothing left out, are through him. And all things are to or unto him. Now, if you're wondering how that works, I think there are two things that we need to do and you need to do. And first, you need to see that this is what this says. So, Paul, at this point, is saying, I do not understand all of that, but this is true. And so you just need to believe this, that all things, history, Planets, stars, galaxies, work, wars, life, death, salvation, sickness, everything are from, through, and to God. Now the fullness of understanding all that, we just say, oh, the depths of the riches and the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. And that's the second thing we need to do and we need to say is we need to say what Paul says and say just that. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and how, or how uh, uh, unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. So all things are being brought about unto him, unto his will, unto his purposes, and unto his glory. Everything. As you eat at the dinner table, as you talk with one another, all things to his glory. And as we see all this, as we hear the word of the Lord here, all of this is incredibly humbling, isn't it? And if it's not incredibly humbling, it ought to be incredibly humbling for us and for you and for us as the church. It does not magnify you and your greatness. It magnifies God and his greatness. One of the first things that Paul, he does say about us in Romans is what? one of the very first things he says is you are all just a bunch of sinners. 
And so the first thing that we should do as we hear all this is it should cause us to grieve. It should cause us to grieve over the depth of our pride. And I mean that. Something that's important as we gather as the body of Christ, as we gather together and we exalt in God, is we need to be humbled and we need to confess before God our need for him, our sins against him, and our desperate need for Christ every hour. And so we exalt him this morning as we see those things, as we see our sin. And it doesn't take away from worship. It makes it greater. And so we need to grieve over the depth of our pride. We were created and we were made and we are alive right now to magnify his greatness, not ours, not us. And this is grief worthy. This is our problem. This is my problem. We want to be first. I want to be first. I mean, you might, I feel it in my heart right now. Do you feel it in your heart right now? Go back to Romans 1 through 3, 1 through 11. (laughs) That's why we want to be first. We want to be first in our churches, we want to be first in our homes. We want to be first in everything. And so we see how deep and how serious our problem is and our sin is. Let me just say that this certainly may not sound like the best news in the world to you, but this is in contrast to the false news of the world. We need to hear the truth because the so-called prophets of the world today are not heralding God's greatness. You will not be hearing the incredible greatness and holiness of God in a Disney movie. I mean, nowhere to be found. Did you find it in Frozen? (laughs) The incredible greatness of God, the depth of our sin, and the depth of our need for God. Or just any movie. What are we hearing? We're hearing from movies and shows and the news and everything. You're great, right? And, and from songs, baby, you're a firework, right? And so magnifying us, well, God is nowhere. Magnifying our worth while God is entirely ignored. And so... Here is what we are being called to by the world. And this may sound familiar. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. How does it go? Let it go. (laughs) Let it go, right? You don't know where that's from. That's from Frozen. (laughs) That's her, her moment, right? She's letting everything go. And that's our existential moment of our society right now. You want to know where the culture is? Let all that other stuff go. Let God go. What did, he, what did she say? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Who? You. No right, 
Forget the Bible. No wrong. Forget the Bible. Forget God. No rules for me because who's God? Me. I'm free. Not God. Let go. Let what go? And so all this, as we are facing a culture that says that and is saying that to you everywhere you go, we ought to ask then, what about God? What about Romans 11, 33 through 36? What about Isaiah chapter 40? Everything today is aimed at you with little to no view of God, no view of his word, no view of the damnable nature of our pride. And so I want us, as we are considering these things, to consider ourselves and to grieve this morning over our pride, a pride that says, and we see today throughout many believers' lives that they say, I will plan, I will live and aim without any view of God, any view of Him in our home, any view of Him in our lives outside of perhaps a Sunday or two. Well, let me ask you, is that what the Gospel calls you to? Is that what Jesus meant when He said, take up your cross and follow Me? Did He say just kind of your life? He said, everything. And so he wants your home, fathers, mothers. He wants you leading your children in the Word of God, in the worship of God at home. He wants you training them in the discipline and an instruction of the Lord. He wants you to go to work and that whatever you do, that you would do it all to the glory of God, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ, doing everything to please Him. There's no area of our lives where he says that's off limits. God is to be in everything that we do. In our committee meetings, our business meetings, every single thing that we do at Haven. And everything that we do outside of Haven. So is that the picture that you have of humanity? Is that the view that you have of God and how He is calling you and all of us to worship Him. And so our response to all this then is to grieve and then most certainly to believe and to exalt Him. To believe and to exalt Him. So do you believe this about God? Not asking in the abstract. I'm asking you all things, it says. Now, you may not understand a myriad of things, but see, that Paul, see Paul's doxology here. He believes, he trusts God, he believes, and he entrusts himself to God in his wisdom, his knowledge, his sovereignty, his salvation, his word. And what does he do? And he worships. Amen. And so we need to challenge any of you that lifts anything higher than God. Do you have a view of God that makes him small and you big? All things will be unto him and even now are being worked out by him, unto him. I cannot tell you how immeasurably that right there and these truths have come for me over the years as we, as we have encountered a whole variety of challenges in our lives, as we've lost children, as we've had sicknesses and health issues and we've lost jobs and we've gained jobs and we, we've had all these things that have happened. 
again and again, the centrality of God and who He is is of incomparable comfort as we face life. And so when all seems lost, when the future is unclear, when waiting is prolonged, when the unexpected comes again and again, and then yet it comes again, when people fail you, when the church fails you, when I fail you, when we live in days of angst, what do you need to do? Well, this is calling us then to what? To look up. To lift up your eyes. In 2022, friends, brothers, sisters, we need a big view of God. Look up, believe, and exalt Him who is exalted. And if we haven't seen that enough, this is made all the more apparent with the last part of our passage here in verse 36b. And so it comes here as an inference, kind of a conclusion from what we've seen in verses 33 through 36a. And so we see the statement and the call for us to do all things for the glory of God. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So everything in all of history is going that direction. His glory, His praise, His exaltation forever. Salvation, redemptive history, the, everything right now, all of this is being orchestrated by God to bring him the most glory. And so, friend, right now in your life, in our time in history, in 2022, as we're facing all these things, as you're facing whatever you may be facing, it may not seem that way. But hear the word of the Lord this morning and know for sure that it is. The sickness you may be facing, the loss, see where it's going and exalt the Lord. And so our first response to this, the response of believers here is to rejoice. It is the heartbeat and it is the longing and the deepest desire of the true believer that God would be glorified above everything. That is what, if you really know Jesus Christ, that's what the gospel does. Is it makes you exalt and take joy in God above everything else. And when he is then exalted, you are glad. <laughs> You are happy and you are rejoicing. Flowing from your love for God, you want Him to be exalted above all. So Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher and theologian from the 18th century, he wrote this, A man must first love God or have his heart united to Him before he will esteem God's good his own and before he will desire the glorifying an enjoying of God as his happiness. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> A mouthful. He's saying that if you really know Christ, if you really love God, 
then your deepest desire will be that His name be glorified. And that means that one, that should be scary for some of us. Because our deepest desire is not that His name be glorified. And we are not happy when He gets the glory. What Jonathan Edwards is warning against and what Scripture is exhorting against is hearts that are not truly His, that think they're His because they're simply worshiping themselves or something else. So if God's glory seems loathsome to you, then consider who it is you have raised highest in your affections. Who is first in your heart? Because for us as believers, that will be Christ. That may mean you need to look at your life. You are you're a believer here, and you're living in sin. Maybe that's what's going on. And you're you're putting other things before God. Well, God's calling you to repent this morning. And maybe you're an unbeliever and, and all this right now you're saying, I do not have delight in God. I do not know God. Well, God is calling you right now to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And to find the one who is worth selling everything and going and buying that field to, to come to the one who can save you, the treasure of your soul. God is calling every single one of us this morning to live for His glory. And so I want to challenge you this morning to live for God's glory and not yours. So seeing all these things, what will you do? What will you do? Let me ask you this question. How will you aim your life at his glory. How will you aim your life at his glory? Now you, you'll see there in your notes a blank beside that question. That's not for me to fill in. That's for you to fill in. It's for you to answer that question. Is there an area in your life that you need to give over to God? Maybe you need to say, you know, I don't know the answer to this or that, but whatever may be, I will glorify him. I will glorify God in this. Or perhaps there's an area in your life right now, perhaps some sin you're saying, no, I will not glorify God in that. Well, that is for you and to put that in the blank. I will glorify God with this. And so consider yourself this morning and answer the question, what in your life do you need to give to the Lord? Whatever your life do you need to aim towards Him and His glory? And so may we hear the word of the Lord this morning. And may you devote your life to glorifying the one from whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. Let's pray. Father, as we
quiet ourselves here for a moment. I just pray for each of us that as we consider our lives, may we not take that question in the abstract. I think we do that too well so many times in the Christian life. But right now, I pray for every single one of us, every single person in this room, that they would answer that question. And if they don't have an answer for that right now, they would go home and pray. They would get on their knees before you and seek your face and ask what in their lives right now do they need to aim to your glory. And I don't know of any one of us who has an area of our life where that can't be said. And so I pray that you would help us to take these things seriously and may we aim ourselves for your glory. That is what everything is aiming and tending to. And so may we aim ourselves with all we are to your glory. I pray that every person now would even say, here's my life. Do with it as you will, Lord. You want me to go tell this person about Christ, I will. Because my aim is your glory. I know it's not comfortable. I know I may not have the answers. But my aim is your glory. Maybe some sin. Maybe they just need to pray, Lord, help me. I'm struggling with this so, so deeply. And I've been fooled by sin, but you are better. I give this sin to you, and I will aim at your glory. That may mean going to other brothers and sisters in the Lord, asking them for help and counsel. It may mean confessing a sin to someone or making right a wrong. But pray that we would do that this morning. Dear Lord, you're calling someone to do something a different job, serve you on the mission field. Something else, just pray that you would help us to say, we will aim towards your glory. And so we pray that as a church, that would be our heart right now. As we continue in worship, may we come and and give you our lives and our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.